Photoshop has changed how we see just about everything. Uh, you think about it, uh, most of us have never seen what a real person looks like on a magazine cover. Uh, we, we go, you go through the stand, uh, go through the checkout line at the grocery store and you kind of see, hey, these people are portrayed in a certain way, but they're almost always photoshopped. We don't even really know what they look like. And, and maybe you've seen some of those videos where they take fairly average looking people, maybe even below average looking people. And, and they, and they, you know, they, they raise the cheekbones and they kind of, kind of do a few things. They all of a sudden they look glamorous and beautiful and, and incredible. It's really pretty common now that people will edit their photos to, before they post them on Facebook. I'm not, I don't know anybody who does that personally, but, uh, you know, that I've, I've, I've heard that that's pretty common, pretty, uh, pretty average. You know, you think about even even things where uh, they they take photos and make things that could not actually happen physically in real life. I mean, just the the, the proportions and the shape and of things and the, the the nature of things. It just couldn't actually happen. You know, you see something that that is is not appealing, and you can take it though, and you can you can Photoshop it, or you can edit it, and you can kind of take away the blemishes, and you can make it look the way you want it to look. A lot of people, a lot of churches, a lot of preachers have tried to Photoshop the gospel. You know, they, they look at the gospel and they, you know, there's some potential there, uh, right? You know, uh, but, but it's kind of raw. It's kind of harsh. You know, let's, let's, uh, let's, let's kind of shape it so that it will be a little bit more appetizing, a little bit more appealing, so that it would be uh, a little bit more, uh, a little bit, a little bit better. You know, for, for, some, for some people, it's, it's pretty mild. You know, you just kind of lighten it up a little bit, you know, bring a little bit of light into the picture. You know, you know take, kind of take the edge off this whole uh, crucified Savior and human, human sinners and, and human pride. And, and man, the gospel just, it crushes all those things, but we could just brighten it up a little bit. Uh, and, and for some people, they're... Their way of, of changing the gospel changes it so much that by the time they're done, it's unrecognizable. In fact, I think that some people cannot recognize the gospel because all they've ever seen is a Photoshop the gospel. God does not want us to Photoshop the gospel. He does not want us to tone down the dark parts. He does not want us to reshape it or tamper it with it to make it better. Jesus Christ is his very own son, and he is the image, the revelation of the good news of God to us. He is the revelation of the glory of God, and God does not want us to reshape Jesus Christ to make him more appealing. Instead, the way for us to go forward, what I hope you'll see today, is that the way for people to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ is simply to openly, plainly declare the truth. To see that, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4. And it's looking at verses 1 through 6. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 1 through 6. There are no big major chunks today. We're just going to go through it uh, a verse or two at a time. And just see the way, after what we have seen so far in 2 Corinthians, the, the way that Paul talks about, this is, this is the way that you do this, this ministry, the ministry of the Spirit. So he says in verse 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Therefore, 
having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Now the word therefore links us back to what's, what's gone before, what we, what we need to kind of capture. And so we think about what Paul has said so far. Uh, why, why would he be tempted to be discouraged or to be less bold? Why, why would a person who is in Paul's circumstances be tempted to hold back a little bit, to be a little less bold, uh, to, be, to be a little less forthright? One of the things that the Corinthians seem to have a problem with, with Paul is, man, where where's he come off talking this way to us? He's so bold. You can't talk that way. He says, but, but instead of becoming discouraged or in, instead of toning it down, he says, we do not lose heart. Why, but why would he be tempted to lose heart? Well, he says uh, one, one reason could be that the, the external physical suffering that he faced. He talks about in chapter 1 about when he was in Asia. Uh, that would be what we would think of as modern, the, the region that is modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor. And so he's, he was there, and he faced some kind of situation there. Uh, you can read about some of the situations uh, that Paul went through in the book of Acts, something like that, you know, something like the time when he was stoned or something like there was a, a big riot and, and people were shouting uh, about, about this, this God that they worshipped. And they, if, if you think about if Paul had come out into that, you know, what would have happened to him? You think about when he was in Jerusalem and the people were ready to tear him apart and he got rescued by the Romans. Uh, you think about all those different cases. Something was like that. It was, it was to the point that Paul had said, we had already sort of come to the conclusion we were, we were dead men. We were on the executioner's docket. Paul, Paul went through that. Would, would, you, would you maybe want to tone it down some? Would you maybe want to back off if that was your reality? But there's also the relational difficulties that Paul had with the church in Corinth. You, you think about, he's going through all these, uh, he's suffering in this way. He's going through all this difficulty and to bring the gospel to places like Corinth. And basically what Corinth had, did, uh, had done was they had said, you know, you're just not that glamorous, Paul. You know, we got, we, got some, we got some new preachers. We got some better preachers. You know, we got some, some people who, man, they really know how to turn a phrase. They know how to make, make themselves look good. They know how to make the gospel look good. And we're not that into you anymore, Paul. How, how, how would you? That would be enough to make you give up. If you had worked to bring the gospel to these people, and then they said, we, we don't care for you. We don't care for your way that much anymore. Then you have the whole issue of, the way that Paul even describes people's reaction to his preaching. There were some, he says that we are, we are the aroma of Christ everywhere. We are, we are the, the smell as we proclaim the gospel. To some, the gospel is life. The good news of Jesus Christ's death on the cross is life to them. But for some, it is the stench of death. It is, a, it is the smell of a, a rotting person. It is, it is repulsive. If you go through that kind of physical suffering, you go through that kind of relational strain, and then you face that kind of rejection from the message that you are preaching, that's enough to make you want to give up. That's enough to make you want to back off. But Paul says, we have this ministry. This ministry, what's the ministry that he's talking about? He's talking about the ministry of the Spirit that he talks about in chapter 3, verses 6 through 18. This is the ministry by which the Spirit gives life and righteousness to people. 
all people, when they, when they stand in relationship, when they, are, when they are judged by the standards of God's law, they are condemned. They are under the, under the penalty of death. And that's where we all are. That's where we are, all are in Adam. That's where we all are as a result of our very own actions. We are those who, when we, when we look at what God demands, who God is, and the expression of his character in his standards, in his rules, in his law, we all stand condemned. We all deserve the death penalty. But what the Spirit does, the, this ministry that Paul is talking about is the ministry of the Spirit. This ministry brings life, not death, righteousness, not condemnation. It takes people who deserve the death penalty, and through the preaching of the gospel, they are brought to an understanding. The Spirit illuminates for them and transforms their hearts so that they understand the gospel. Not only do they understand the gospel mentally, but they wholly give themselves to it, trusting in Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is the one who gives life. We were, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were dead before God, and yet Jesus Christ gives us life. We were condemned by God, and yet here through Jesus Christ, his, his obedient life, his death on the cross, he then has his righteousness or, or his obedience or his goodness is credited as, as ours. We didn't, we didn't go and earn it ourselves. We didn't live up to that standard at some point. Instead, Jesus Christ living up to that standard and fulfilling that standard is then credited as ours. It's as if we as lawbreakers then have the whole fulfillment of the law credited to us. That's what this ministry is. So think about what Paul says. We do not lose heart. We're not giving up. We're not backing down. We're not getting discouraged. Because this ministry that we have is the only ministry that gives people life and righteousness. Now, none of us stand in exactly the same position as Paul did as an apostle, but how many of us have some kind of similar kind of situation? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be good if we could just kind of back off a little bit in our speaking of the truth to our family members? Isn't it easy to become discouraged when we are trying to share the gospel at our workplace? Or to any of our friends who are just the same old friends that we've had for a long time. And we've been trying to share the gospel with them. Our same old neighbors, our same old family. The same, the same people we've been trying to share the gospel with over and over again. And isn't it, it, doesn't it feel like, hey, I mean, rejection. It, it, makes, it, it causes estrangement. People are, the, the people don't want to be around. They don't like us as much because we're preaching the gospel to them. Wouldn't it be good? Wouldn't it feel good? To back off. But this ministry that Paul is talking about is the only ministry that gives life and righteousness. It is only by telling people the gospel, teaching people the gospel, proclaiming the gospel to people that they can have this life and righteousness. If that's the case, let's, let's not get discouraged. And let's not back off. You have to keep going have to persevere because we realize that this is the only way this ministry is the only ministry 
cannot be changed, cannot be transformed, cannot be photoshopped, cannot be made more appealing, cannot be made more appetizing. It's the only one. And so we follow the flow of Paul's thought into verse 2. He says, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. You know, when you're, when you're facing suffering, when you're, what you're doing is causing relational difficulties, when you are, uh, when you are, facing rejection what's what's your immediate what 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 is it that you would want to try and do you want to try and shape it you want to try and you want to try and make it more appealing you want to try and give it in, in a way that is that is more palatable digestible receivable by people I mean, that's what Paul would call disgraceful, underhanded ways or secret, shameful ways. It, it, is, it is shameful to, to tamper with, to, to change the nature of, to change the shape of, to, to, try, to, to try to fit it. Not, not just be persuasive, but to actually change the way that you say it, to, to change the, uh, the, the nature, the, the, the message of the gospel. Earlier in chapter 2, he, he called it uh, peddling the gospel. Uh, dishonest salesmanship. Marketing the gospel. Trying to find out the way, what, what is the thing in people that we can, the, the, the lock that we can just kind of shape the gospel. We can shape the key of the gospel to just kind of unlock it. That's the, that's the way that the Corinthian, a lot of those in the, uh, these kind of uh, super apostles, these, these super preachers, these, these ones who come into Corinth after Paul, uh, that's what they had started to do. He calls it practice cunning. Uh, we might say in, in popular uh, church ministry parlance, we call it being innovative. We need, to, we need to go to conferences so that we can learn to be innovative. Innovation can't reach uh, can't reach people today the same way they did you know back a long time ago or back in our grandmother's church you know we even send out cars to people's houses and and we uh, you know I, I've seen these little marketing cards that say this is not your grandma's church uh, I kind of wish I could go to my grandma's church somebody's grandma's church I mean is the church we'll go to the church I'd like to go to a New Testament church. And he says that the, the cunning, most the, the worst way of speaking about it I could think of, tamper with God's word. Tamper with it. Don't don't show the real thing. Don't speak the real thing. Tamper with it. God is the author and the originator of the gospel. He does not intend that it would be reshaped or tampered with. It's really easy. It was really easy in my mind to think about. Uh, I, I, you know, uh, 
hate to say that I would, I would love any particular service, but I think we, a lot of us in, maybe enjoy receiving those little boxes from Amazon, you know, the things that we order. What we, what we would hate to find is, you know, it cut open, maybe rifled with. That's what, that's what Paul's saying. We're, we're, we're delivering the package the way that God gave it to us to, to deliver it. Well, I'm really kind of getting ahead of myself. He says there in the next part is, this is the way to do it. The open statement of the truth. Just straight, plain dealing. Not trying to hide, not trying to pull punches, not trying to, not trying to be ambiguous, not trying to, to hold back anything, not trying to make it more appealing, not trying to, to lighten it up, but just simply talking about it the way it is. Listen, we're, we're sinners. In the book of Romans. One day, we, I, I will preach, Lord willing, live long enough, preach through the book of Romans. Book of Romans, he says, this is the gospel that I preach everywhere. And then he starts off the first, uh, the first quarter of the book talking about, well, first I tell people that the wrath of God is upon them. And then I start to talk to the moral people and I show how the wrath of God is upon them. And then I talk to the Jews and I show the Jews how the wrath of God is upon them. And then I, and then I kind of wrap that up by saying the wrath of God is upon all the people in their unrighteousness who turn away from God. Paul says, that's the gospel I preach everywhere. That's not tampering with it. He doesn't withhold the good news. The good news of the next part is now you who are under the wrath of God, who have been disobedient to God, who, have, who are condemned by God, you can have righteousness by faith alone in Jesus Christ the same way that even Abraham had faith. You put your faith in Jesus Christ and you are credited with righteousness. You have the righteousness of Christ. You have life. You have the life of the Spirit. You are no longer under the, under the dominion of, of sin. You you are no longer mastered by sin. You are no longer condemned by the law. But he doesn't change any of it. Let us emulate Paul. That's not so easy. It kind of, kind of, to, to it has to be something that has to be reasserted. Again and again and again and restated and reaffirmed and recommitted to as we repent from our, our temptation, the, the temptation to, to alter the gospel, to change it, to tamper with it. To say, no, 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 no. Open statement of the truth. Open statement. Nothing hidden. He says, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience. So if you think of the conscience as that part of human beings that God created in them, it's not perfect because even the conscience is affected by sin. But the conscience is that part of a person that tells them this is right, this is wrong. Even tells people you're right or you're wrong. Well, Paul simply says, we're committing ourselves to everyone's conscience. Hey, go, go ahead and judge which is the right way to do it. Is it, is it the right way to, to, you, to tamper with God's word, to use cunning, to peddle the gospel? Or is it right to simply make an open statement of the truth? Which is the right way? 
He's saying to the Corinthians, you, you judge for yourselves. We, we are called upon to judge, which is, which is the right way. Who will we be like and who will we listen to? Will we be like Paul, who made an open statement of the truth? Will we listen to people like Paul, who made an open statement of the truth? Is that the right way? Or is it better to tamper with it, transform it, make it fit, make it work? He not only says that, but he says, in the sight of God. What every person, and even it is more even emphasized in the New Testament, even more every preacher stands before God and is judged based upon what they say. Teachers will face a more strict judgment. God is watching. I think one of the most comforting things in the, in the if you if you are concerned by false teaching, one of the things that comforts me is God is watching. When I am uh, myself uh, working to study and working to prepare, and nobody's watching me, God is watching. God is watching, and so remember that. To know that there is no place that you can go where God is not watching. You cannot ascend high enough. You cannot go down deep enough. You cannot go into the sea. You cannot go anywhere. Not to the farthest reaches of the earth or to outer space or beyond. You cannot go anywhere where God does not see. Where God does not have power. Where God does not know. Some places people may not know. I feel I, I feel sad for so many people who who are who don't know. But God knows. God knows the the conscience, the heart, the mind. That's that's not that's not a that's not necessarily a comforting thought, although it could be it. But but it is a definitely a stealing backbone giving kind of thought. God sees, God knows. Every person, every preacher, every proclaimer, every gospel worker, God knows, God watches. So you have to know that. And that's what Paul, Paul's saying, that we do it like we know God is watching. We do it like we know this is the way God wants it. Open statement of the truth. Now, in verse, verses 3 and 4, Paul has to explain, well, if you're doing it the right way, Paul, why are there, why are there people who reject it? You know, look at verses 3 and 4. He says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He said, okay, so some people, when they hear the gospel, to them it is the stench of death. It's not, it's not the aroma of life, it's the stench of death. And even to Paul's very own people, he says in chapter 3 that the gospel was veiled to them. They, they could not see it. They could not see it. They, they, they read the law and the prophets, the law and the prophets that testified to the coming of the Messiah, to Jesus Christ, and they could not see it. 
If it is veiled, though, Paul says, the problem is not with the message. The message does not need to be changed. The message does not need to be, to, need to be tampered with, not to be made more appealing, not to be made more palatable. palatable. It, it, nothing needs to happen with the message. The messengers don't need to stop making this open statement of the truth. We should not conclude that because people are rejecting the gospel or the gospel is veiled to some, that there's something wrong with the gospel. We should not conclude that there's necessarily something wrong with the messenger of the gospel. Paul gives the reason in verse 4. If the gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are, are perishing. Since in their case, the God of this world. You know, that there, there is this picture of that, that's not to deny God's overwhelming power over the world. And yet there is some sense in which during this age, God has, has permits Satan to continue his work. He is the God of this world. He is the devil. He is the deceiver. And he has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Blinded their minds. Think about the mind as the aspect of the inner person by which everything goes in. The gospel transforms people's hearts, transforms people's lives, transforms people's desires. The mind, though. The sat- Satan is the, is the author, the, the founder, the father of lies. He causes people to believe wrongly. And he has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. When you, the, the, when you take a blind person out into the sun, it is not the fault of the sun that they cannot see it. Right? Pretty obvious, right? That's my job, the statement of the obvious, week in and week out. Okay, that's, that's, they, they, it is, it is that, it is not that there is no light. This is the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ. The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Who is the image of God? That, that glory that we've talked about, that we've seen so far in 2 Corinthians, even the glory that we read about today in, in the book of Exodus, that glory, that, that consuming fire, that glory that they saw, that That glory is seen in the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is nothing wrong with it. It does not need to be changed. It does not need to be, it does not need to be made more clear or brighter. It cannot, it cannot achieve a greater degree of perfection than it already has. It is the perfect, unnecessary to change, unchangeable gospel of Jesus Christ. The reason why people don't see it is because they are blinded by the God of this world. And we know that that Satan is permitted by God. God permits what he could otherwise prevent for his own wise purposes. We know that by the Spirit, God causes people to see the light. But God is not the direct agent of blinding people. He is the one who causes anybody to see the light who sees the light. And when we were thinking about changing the gospel, you do not help blind people see by blocking out the sun. 
Does that make sense? We do not help blind people see by blocking out the sun. If if we go to people who are blinded by Satan and we proclaim a gospel to them that is no gospel at all, there is no chance that they're actually going to see the glory of Christ. If we, if we change the gospel, there is no chance that these people are going to receive life and righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. If we change it. We're not, we're not help, we're not, we're not taking away the veil, we're just taking away the light. The thought pattern of, of, of so many in, in the church or in ministry is let's change it so that we can take away the veil. It doesn't take away the veil. It doesn't take away, it doesn't, it doesn't make it less hidden. It takes away the light. When you peddle the gospel, when you tamper with the gospel, when you use your craftiness to try to make the gospel a little bit better, you're not helping people see the light. And I want to appeal to all of you who, who think that I just want to help people believe in Jesus Christ. I want to help people believe in Jesus Christ too. We do that not by changing the truth, but by making an open statement of the truth. If you really want to see people believe in Jesus Christ, you have to do that by preaching the gospel unaltered, unphotoshopped, unedited. It has to be the real deal. Now, what are you, what are you doing when you change the gospel? Verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. When you are, when you are changing the gospel, you're not preaching Jesus Christ. You're preaching yourself. You're preaching your own ideas. You're preaching your own message. You're preaching it for your own glory so that people will, will applaud you and praise you. Find you to be, but it's not, it's not just about making the gospel appealing. It's about making yourself appealing. None of us likes to be rejected. How many of us would say, "Woo, make me a stench of death to people. That's really what I'm looking for. That's, that's but, 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 but he says, we proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ as Lord, the su- a, a summary of the gospel is simply Jesus Christ as Lord. He is the only one who was righteous. He is the only one who rose from the dead. He is the only one that God has anointed to be king. He's Lord. And what are we? So if we, if, if what, is, what is Paul? What is Paul as an apostle? We are servants or literally slaves slaves we are your slaves the the slaves of the church you know sometimes when you're uh you think about the apostles are described as the 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 foundation of the church their preaching is the foundation of the church they are the a a, a kind of founder of the church jesus christ is the cornerstone the preaching of the apostles as sent by jesus christ they are the foundation of the church 
typically when you're the founder, you kind of get to say, well, I, I kind of I get a big say-so around here. I mean, you can hardly think of the, the founder of Facebook as kind of saying, you know, my opinion doesn't really matter that much. You know, that's, that's not really the way it works. Uh, I, really, I really am low man on the totem pole. That's, but, but Paul says, we are your slaves. And what he means by being your slaves does not mean that he tells you what you want to hear. But it, what it does mean is that he is willing to humble himself and go as low as low takes to get them the gospel. To teach them how to follow Jesus Christ. You know, if we, if, if Paul did that, how much more should we be ready to do that? How, how few people there are who, who say that they are slaves for the church's sake. Slaves of the church for Jesus' sake, I should say. I know that a lot of us have had difficulties in church life, right? So what we typically say is we're, we've been burned by the church. Isn't that, isn't that what we say? And some people who say that they have been burned by the church, they quit the church. That's what you do when you are a customer of the church. But when you are a slave of, of the church for Christ's sake, you don't lose heart. You keep going. You keep preaching the gospel. You keep serving. And that's not to, that's not to wipe away or, or, or lessen the, the real difficulties that we've had. And yet, this is, we're not devoted to the church because the church is awesome. The church is not strong and awesome and beautiful. It's only strong and awesome and beautiful because Jesus Christ has made it that way. But, but, but it, it's filled with difficult people. We keep, we keep loving it because Christ died for the church. Keep loving the church and serving the church because Christ died to make the church his bride. We're not going to give up. We're not going to give up. And you know, if you think about service, if you talk about slavishness, it doesn't matter how low you go. You're never going to go lower than Jesus Christ did. And he who was God took on human form and was obedient to the point of death. You are never going to go lower in your service for the church than Jesus Christ did. Now here is the base reason for everything. Verse 6. He says, for God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let light shine out of darkness. Calls to mind the idea of creation. There, there at creation, there was nothing. There was simply the absence of light. And out of nothing... God spoke, let there be light, and there was light. And even when we think about what Jesus Christ did, he is the, the light to the Gentiles, the light to those who are far away, who had never, who had never known God, and yet Jesus Christ is their, their light. Sometimes, I even already made reference to it, sometimes we, we talk about in terms of Ephesians 2, we're not just, we're not just uh, sick and maybe only partially responsive, we are dead in our trespasses and sins and unable to respond to God rightly until he makes us alive with Jesus Christ. That's true. That's very true. 
But even death sort of implies prior life. This sort of, as an image, goes even further. We were nothing but darkness. What, what, God, what God found in us to be responsive to him was nothing. Darkness. Not prior life that he fanned into flame. Not, not something that he, he caused to come again. But he spoke new life into us by the gospel. Where there was nothing, God said, let there be light, and there was light. How did, how did I become a Christian? It was the speaking of the word to me. And this light, this light is the, uh, this, this light that is shown into, in our hearts, in our inner beings, in our inner selves, in, in to, to bring life into us is the light of the knowledge to, to know Jesus Christ's death for us, to know that Jesus Christ came and died for sinners, to know that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, to know that Jesus Christ has, has ascended to heaven, to know that Jesus Christ is returning again to, to judge, and that, that those of us who are in Jesus Christ, we will, we will see him and we will be glad for his coming. We will be made like him at his return. That, that knowledge, but this is the, the knowledge of the glory of God. Of all the great gifts that God gives. There is no gift greater than the gift of actually seeing God's glory. God sustains us every day by, by, by seed to sow and bread to eat and 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 good things in life, and friends, and family, and, and church. I, I am so glad to be a part of this church, to be, to be united with so many of you. There are, those are all good gifts. Uh, enjoy great gifts. We're going to enjoy great gifts uh, tomorrow. For many of us, 4th of July, we're going to be enjoying great gifts. We enjoy our work sometimes, most of the time, so, lots of times. We enjoy, we enjoy our recreation of all the good gifts. No gift is greater than the glory of God. That, that we get to come into the presence of our maker. The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It is in Jesus Christ that we see the glory of God. It is in his face. There's even maybe Paul reflecting. Think, think about the way that Paul came to Christ. If you don't know, Paul was a, a persecutor of the church. He was actually taking uh, like what we might think of as, as warrants, and he was going to find Christians, and he was going to throw them in jail. Uh, some of them were going to be executed. He was standing there uh, approving, uh, maybe even giving a, a kind of, of, of sentencing approval on the stoning of Stephen, who was a Christian. And yet... Paul is on his way to arrest some people, on his way to, you think of him as like a, like a uh, synagogue bounty hunter. I mean, he's going around some people up and throw them in prison. And he sees a light. And God speaks to him and says, Paul, Paul, why, why are you persecuting me? Said, who, who are you? <laughs> Jesus Christ. And he is saying, uh, and you think about this in, in relation to Peter. You know, 
Peter was there on the Mount of Transfiguration where, where he saw the glory of Jesus Christ. And yet he said we have a more sure word in the scriptures. Paul is saying the same way that I saw the glory of God, I portray so often, it's amazing the way that Paul talks about his proclamation of the gospel. When he talks about the proclamation of the gospel, he doesn't only talk about people hearing it. He talks about showing it. Because in the gospel, when he proclaims the gospel, he was showing people the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You have not seen, but blessed are those who believe who have not seen Jesus Christ. Because when you believe, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you receive life and righteousness. You are blessed. You are eternally joyful in Jesus Christ forever and ever because you believe in him. Why would we do ministry this way? Well, why would we do ministry any other way if this is the only way to see the glory of God? Paul says, I make an open statement of the truth. Why would I do anything else? Why would I tamper with it? Why would I change it? Why would I, why would I back off from it? Why would I get discouraged in it? Why would I ever do anything different if this is the only way that I or anybody else can see the glory of God? If this is the way, then this is the way. This is the way. If, if we have understood what it means to be, to have life by the Spirit, a ministry of the Spirit and not of the letter, not of, not of condemnation and death, but of life and righteousness. We, we understand that. There's, there's only one way of doing that that fits. It's one way that the apostle did it. It's one way for the church that is founded on the preaching of that gospel, of that, of that apostle to do it. And that is to make an open statement of the truth. Tell people the gospel. Teach people the gospel. Proclaim the gospel. Without alteration. Without backing off. Let us live that way. Let us live that way as individuals. Let us live that way together. Let's keep sharing the gospel with our family. Let's keep sharing the gospel with our neighbors. Let's keep sharing the gospel with our friends. Let's keep making open declarations, open proclamations of the truth to people. And know that that's the only way that people can come to faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray and proclaim the gospel. Uh, Father, uh, thank you for uh, your word and for uh, such splendidly precise instructions on how to carry out the ministry that you have given us. Thank you for the good news itself. Thank you for the warning surrounding your good news. Thank you for the warning about those who preach a false gospel. Thank you for the warning uh, toward those who, who teach. Thank you for the warning about who we should listen to. Thank you for warnings. Thank you for, thank you for putting up these signposts so that we would not fall into uh, places that, where we would be destroyed. We thank you for your commands. We know that your commands work all good for us. We thank you that you have unveiled our eyes. We ask that you would unveil other people's eyes, that you would cause through the ministry of our church, through our, through our uh, work and our everyday vocations and assignments, that in and through it that we would proclaim the gospel and that people would see the light. 
please grant that more and more people through our church would see the light, the light of the knowledge of the glory of you in the face of Jesus Christ. Make that known. Help us to make you known. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.